YouTube Live. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to episode 58 of Going Live with Good Soil with Matt and I here. Uh, just a reminder for those on YouTube, you see a disclaimer, but for those on Twitter spaces, these are always, uh, you know, not investment advice. You know, we're just giving our opinions on things. Uh, so especially important in this uh, episode, I think we'll be talking uh, a good amount about lemonade stock, for example. So we're not recommending people buy or sell any particular stocks or options. We're just talking about what our feelings are and our opinions are personally on these things. So, man, how are you doing, man? We were uh, in Austin last week. Um, it was fun. It was super hot down there. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute, I guess, the Tesla annual meeting. But um, yeah, how's, how's your morning going? What's, what are your thoughts about the macro market right now? Uh, good, thanks. Yeah, it was it was definitely great seeing everybody uh, last week. Um, but yeah, macro. I mean, the the big number is is tomorrow. We got CPI print tomorrow morning, um, and and so I think that's gonna. There's a little bit of skittishness. It looks like in in the markets the last two days. Uh, it, well, Friday too, actually. Um, so it'll be kind of curious to see, you know, whether that's a good or a bad number, or just kind of in line with expectations. Uh, I, I kind of feel like we'll have some volatility tomorrow one way or another. Yeah, the CPI print is scheduled to be released before the open tomorrow. And then I think the PPI on Thursday or something, but the CPI is really the big one everyone focuses on. And the I think we said last week or the week before, the Cleveland Fed is estimating it to be much lower, revising it downwards. Um, so I think that's part of the reason the, the market the last couple of weeks is... Uh, has kind of rallied maybe because they've realized that the uh, CPI for July is going to be much lower than it was for June. Um, but the Fed is still talking very tough on interest rates, right? I mean, all these Fed officials are in these conferences or interviews saying like, yeah, I don't know what the market's doing. We're going to raise rates or something. They're trying to like scale the market down. And, um, you know, I guess it, really it's, it's about the long-term interest rate or medium-term interest rates. You know, at the beginning of 2023, our interest rates really coming down. Or um, are they going to be at a higher level, you know, 3% plus for a sustained amount of time, I guess. And that's what the macro market's trying to figure out, in our, in my opinion. And uh, we're kind of in this gray area right now where maybe it's uh, where there's a turn of momentum in medium to long-term interest rates. But, you know, maybe not, um, you know. So what, what CPI, what, do you know what the expected CPI print is for tomorrow by any chance, Matt? I mean, so I, I don't, I've seen a couple individual estimates. I think uh, it was a bank of America um, had lowered yeah. their, their estimate from 1.9% to I think it was like 0.1% or maybe it was 0.2%. So that wow. was a huge downward revision huge. Uh, that came out last yeah. week. Uh, I, I saw, it wasn't the Cleveland fed, but one of the other fed groups uh, revised their estimate down recently as well. Uh, but I'm not sure, you know, I don't have the Bloomberg terminal to see what the kind of aggregated uh, market estimate is. Uh, but I'd be curious to know that, though. Yeah, if anyone in the comments section uh, has an aggregate estimate, please put it in. We'll talk about it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the reaction, the stock market reaction, like one way or another, like you said, meant the stock market reaction is the most important thing to pay attention to here, I think, just to understand where the sentiment is around, you know, the macro markets. Are we kind of, is the pendulum swinging back or is this kind of a bear market rally we've just been in the last few weeks? Um, so I, my, my prediction is that, you know, very short term, even if the CPI is like really good or something, or, I, you know, I wonder if like the market could crash quickly, like 5% just because of uncertainty, and then within a day or two, be back off to a new rally, you know, but like initially people freak out no matter what, almost because it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, we didn't expect the CPI to be so low. What do we do now? And it's just sell, sell, let's figure it out. And until we figure it out and then there's like a little bit of a crash and then uh, we're off to, a, you know, stabilization or rally from there. That's one scenario I feel like could play out kind of like, you know. It, it fools all of us, you know, because a lot of people will see the CPI be so low, but that's good news. And they'll buy and then the market crashes. And we're like, I don't know what's going on, you know, and then it fools us. And, you know, it just it just seems like that's one potential scenario to play out. But these things are so hard to predict short term movements and macro market short term movements. That's like really difficult. So. 
Yeah, I mean, like we're not going to win. I think trying to you know time every single one of these things and and trying to have better insights on on where you know inflation is is going to be. So you know, I think our our worldview is just you know to try to focus on the fundamentals of, of the companies that we're invested in, and then you know hedge along the way with some kind of macro uh, you know uh, kind of hedging instruments. So so that's what you know we've done. But um, everyone obviously that not that's not investment advice and. It's just uh, one way you can kind of handle it if you've got a long, uh, a decent amount of long exposure is to have a little bit of, of short exposure to the macro things that are going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so as he talks with Andy, he says in the, in the comments, you were asking about the uh, CPI estimates. It looks like 8.7% year over year. Uh, I think the way that I had normally seen that is, is kind of like the sequential um, increase. So I think if you were looking at, you know, the month over month rather than the, the year over year number, it would be a lot smaller. Um, so I don't yeah. know, that's, that's kind of the, the, the figure I'd be uh, interested in, in seeing, but so don't you just divide that by 12 to get the month over month. So it'd be like point, you know, 8% or something like that. 0.75% or something. Well, no, cause it, if, if it was, um, if I'm understanding this right, that'd be, you know, the, the July 22 over the July 21, uh, instead of the, you know, July okay. 22 over, uh, June 22. So oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the latter is like you're, we're looking for like a flattening, right, or like inflation not getting worse, and so yeah, I think the yeah. the sequential. Month over month. So there we go. Andy says in the comments, point two uh, month over month. So that is you know okay. certainly a decrease from what we've been seeing. So if, if we got you know point one or or you know close to zero, it was negative. What it was negative, that would really be weird, right? That would be wild. Be like we're in deflation, everyone. Run for the hills. We don't know. Confetti. Well, I think there's probably yeah. it's, it's probably fair that there there will be a difference between like the the core CPI, which excludes uh, I think it's housing and, and energy costs, um, and that it's possible there could be. I, I, again, I haven't seen the numbers on this, but we, we've seen commodity prices in, in those sectors, well, in energy in particular, uh, decrease a bit. Uh, so th that could be a, a sequential decrease, but the core inflation uh, is probably the more important one, and, and I think that's. Uh, you know, modestly up month over month to be what I'm expecting. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if that was negative, I feel like that'd be really good news. That would probably it would be, be but I feel like the market would panic and not know what to make of it and just like sell <laughs> off. And we'd be like, ah, I don't, I don't know how deep the sell off would be. I don't know, the market just like I'd, panicked. I'd, I'd have a hard time. A lot of times. I'd have a very hard time thinking that would, you know, be, you know, a, a negative for stock prices. I think that would be, you know, very, very bullish signal. Yeah. But I don't oh, know. I, I think medium to long term would be, but like in one in one day, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, the mar You know, people just don't want. They, they don't like what's unexpected happen. I don't know. I just feel like the macro market in an intraday in, like trading environment responds negatively to anything super unexpected. Usually, you know, the macro market. You know, individual stocks yeah. will respond in a correlated way to something unexpected, whether it's a positive or a negative. But I feel like whether it's positive or negative, it's unexpected. Sometimes the macro market just seems to drop no matter what until it figures out how to make we, we have know, seen remodel. Some, we, we've seen some crazy like 10 minute huge reversals, like when some of these have come out or like, um, yeah, when Jay Powell is speaking, it'll be like, oh, down half a percent. And then it rallies like plus one percent from there. Yeah. Just like in, in a very short amount of time. So there is. Yeah, I think there's uh, been times where it's gone down like two percent then rallied four. You know, like a few months ago or, you know, six months ago, there was one one instance where it was down two percent. Then it ended up the day like three percent or so, like a five percent yeah. swing just from two hours of talking or something. I don't know. So the market has to figure things out sometimes. So let's move on. I mean, Tesla, uh, you know, the, the annual shareholder meeting, we were there last week. We met a lot of great people. Um, it was really a cool sense of community. I feel like this annual meeting is going to be a really incredible thing going forward. You know, even this year, it was a big deal. But like going forward, it's going to be a bigger and bigger deal. And, you know, this, this is going to be like an annual pilgrimage or, you know, it's just going to be. <laughs> insane going forward i think uh these annual shareholder meetings meet you know in austin it's going to be like everyone from all over the world are going to just congregate in austin and it's going to be like a big I, i'm that's what i'm thinking like two or three years from now it's going to be so big and like imagine by the end of the decade it's going to be ginormous it's just you know um what did you think about the the the, the meetup man yeah, yeah, kind of same. I mean, I, on the surface, like from a strategic perspective, I mean, there was really no important news. There was not a whole lot of, um, you know, frankly, reason to be down there other than just to really um, 
connect with the with the Tesla community. It was actually my first Tesla event. Uh, so my first time, you know, meeting a lot of, of people down there. I see Larry and Farzadar in the comments. It's great seeing you guys uh, both last yeah, week. Yeah, great seeing both um, of you. Yeah. But the, the thing that stuck out to me is like, there's all these great people and, and you see them on, on um, you know, Twitter and, you know, just give kind of great vibes online. But when you meet them in person and, and just kind of hear the stories of, of how Tesla has changed their lives or has, you know, changed their family's lives. I mean, there were, there were stories of like a family business being saved by a Tesla investment, like right in the, in the throes of the COVID uh, shutdown, yeah. which was killing there. It just so many inspiring stories and so many people who, um, you know, kind of went all in, in the face of uh, a lot of adversity and people just, you know, telling them they were dumb and crazy. And um, so it just, just was really uh, it made a bigger impact than I was expecting to to hear all these stories and, and uh, just meet all these people. Uh, but I, yeah. I agree with you. I kind of got the feeling there were so many people that were just so excited to be there, and you know we're definitely planning on going back again the next year. And I definitely do get the vibe that this is gonna this is gonna grow over time to to be something you know a lot bigger than than it is in its current form. So um, yeah, uh, I'm excited to see how it, how it changes over time. Yeah, really a great like fellowship with Tesla investors, you know, just it, it reminds me of like if you ever go into like a, you know, a, a fish head concert or, you know, for the band Fish or what Deadheads, you know, <laughs> Grateful Dead fans probably used to experience when they went to Deadhead concerts or, you know, if you ever have been part of any 12 step programs or know anyone, you know, like there's this fellowship instantly, even though you don't know anyone personally, you get to this big gathering and everyone just instantly disarms and is friendly with each other and like knows they're all in common, like on this mission of like enjoying something or being part of like Tesla in this case, you know, and it's just, it's really nice, you know, just, it's, it's refreshing to go there. And, uh, you know, you and I are, you know, quasi well-known, not as big as like Rob or, or, uh, others. I'm trying to get, try to ask Steve Mark Ryan, he should go, but yeah, if you're like one of those YouTuber Dave Lee, you know, if one of them go, it's like a whole nother thing. But even for you and I, it was like crazy. Just everyone recognizing a lot of people recognizing us. Um, but even if you're just a normal person, I think going is just an amazing experience because everyone there, you know, is like-minded like you in terms of Tesla and you can just, it's an instant conversation piece you, that both of you want to talk about and, you know, it just makes, makes it a fun time. So yeah, I'm looking forward <laughs> to the next, next couple of years. Yeah, so I'm, an interesting theme is developing. Emmett, you were surprised in January when you met me in person that I was so tall. Farzad and Larry, who I met last week, they're both saying they couldn't believe how tall I was in person, which I'm not even yeah. like I'm six feet. I'm not uh, particularly No, tall, you're like 6'2", I think. You're like 6'2", or something. I, I am definitely not. I'm like 5'11", <laughs> and you're a little taller than me. So either I'm lying to myself or uh, or you're wearing like platform shoes. I don't know. You're just you're, you're taller. No, it's it's funny though the you know the kind of instant camaraderie and stuff. I was kind of telling my wife yeah. about it and how you know people would just kind of come up and be like, oh, like I listen to your videos. And it was like so like what a pleasure to meet you and like can't believe yeah. I'm talking to you. And like I was yeah. telling my wife about that and she just started cracking up because you know I'm just like the boring dad at home and it's yeah. like you, there's this whole other you know community out there. It's just uh, it's such an awesome group of people and. Yeah. yeah, I was talking to to Rob Maurer about it a little bit, and and he's got it like on steroids. But he's saying it was yeah. very healthy for him to just be like a normal guy in Milwaukee, ninety nine percent of the time. And every <laughs> once in a while, he's like, you know, yeah. Elvis or something, who just gets mobbed by people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And then the stock really ran up into the annual meeting. It was like a fun. Everyone's all excited. The stock's going up, you know. And then Friday comes, and it just tanks like eighty bucks. And you know, <laughs> it was like, what happened? The winds came out of. Uh, and it's just like a little bit of a downer to end the trip traveling back when the stock's down. So whatever. I mean, the stock's not – whether I want it to influence my mood or not, it does. You know, I'm looking at it every day, right? So um, it, theoretically, it shouldn't. You know, we're all long-term minded for Tesla. We know where it's going in the long term. But, you know, on a given day when you see it go down 8 or 10%, it's, uh, you know, it's a little nerve-wracking for that day, you know. But yeah. I, I thought, it just – do you think Elon was selling shares? I mean, no, I think so there's that's a small possibility – he would have had to disclose it by now. So that was that was what I was thinking when it was just falling like steadily throughout the day. I mean, that was a very similar pattern to, to what we saw when he sold for the first time. So I was thinking, oh, no, like, you know, annual meeting ends and Elon's just, you know, selling to free up some liquidity for the Twitter deal. Um, but uh, just the, just this morning, Gary Black tweeted that, you know, he would have had to report it by yesterday. I think it was um, if, if he had sold. So the fact that he had, yeah. I think we can. I we saw can that off the table. 
but you have to second guess Gary Black sometimes. You have to find out where he's getting his assumptions from, right? So I see that. I'm like, yeah, he's probably right, but I'm not 100%. And then Future Investor, a guy I met in person a while back, tweeted something. I retweeted it just like 10 minutes ago before we got on here, I guess. So you probably didn't see it. But Elon could have sold Friday and the form four would be tonight because based on previous, he shows images from the previous ones from April 26th to April 28th. You know, so if he's, it's two business days after. So, I, you know, I'm not sure. I don't, some people might interpret like Friday is the first business day, Monday is the second, but it might be Monday, then Tuesday, the second business. So I think it seems like there's a chance if he did sell Friday, it wouldn't come out until tonight. Um, so that's all I'm saying. It's not, I don't think it's likely, yeah. but I think it's still possible. You know, sometimes Gary Black tweets on this, not, you know, it's not definitely true what he tweets, but, you know, he gives a lot of great insight. Um, so I think it's still possible he might have sold on Friday and even potentially yesterday. You know, the stock went down at the end of the day. Why? Right. Why did it drop yeah. so much? You know, so it's possible if he did. I think it would, I think people are saying like reacting in the tweet like, oh, that would be so disheartening if he sold more shares. Actually, I think it would be bullish. I think it would be great like news like for the Tesla stock. Like you might be like disheartened that Tesla that Elon had to sell more of his shares for him personally, it's disheartening. But I think for, as an investor in Tesla, you, you'd be happy that it's over with, you know, that like, okay, now he's not going to have to sell in the future. You know, this means, you know, although that's what I thought last time, but you know, maybe some of his investors backed out and he wants to get more shares so that he can just buy it up without borrowing margin to, to finance Twitter or whatever. So, you know, it's, it, it, we're talking about, but I still think it's like a 10 to 25% chance. It's, it's, it's enough to think about, but I still think it's a low probability. Yeah. And, and I mean, it could remove uh, a negative catalyst, right? If, if now he has enough cash to, you know, just handle the deal, um, you know, even at the full price that, you know, you could definitely interpret that as a, as a positive sign, although I'm not sure yeah. the market would in the short term, to be honest with you. Uh, but then it's just like you, you look at what's ahead and we've got investment grade rating, most likely, you know, coming out in the next month or two, hopefully um, yeah. Q3s, you know, shaping up to be a, a pretty strong quarter by by uh, the, the China numbers that we that were you know kind of right in line with expectations. And, and now we know August and um, September will be a, a lot higher since there's there's not going to be the, the significant downtime that we had in July. Um, yeah. And so I, I like it just seems like the the in AI day, like, <laughs> let's not uh, sleep on that. Um, yeah, I, I'm skeptical that it really will be like a stock price catalyst. But I, I could, you know, if there's something very amazing that rolls out, it wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, they've got something that really just kind of blows expectations away. I mean, that's one thing I think people are sleeping on is Tesla's AI capability. So if, if they have yeah. something more advanced than what people are expecting, I think that potentially potentially could be a catalyst, although I would say that's less than 50% likely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we'll find out. I mean, if he did sell, I think he's in that window of time where he has discretion to sell shares of yeah. Tesla. So this is like the last window until the next quarter where he has discretion to do it. So it would almost make sense the more I think about it, you know, I'm more like the 25% chance probability in my mind now, uh, just thinking about it, but there are lots of other catalysts. It would be a good thing. It would remove the overhang. It would mean like, okay, he's going to move forward. Let's get rid of that overhang of the Twitter, whether he has to sell more shares or not for it. It would, um, and there's lots of other catalysts, like you mentioned, AI day part two and investment upgrade. So to me, it would be very bullish if, if it was, if there was a form that came out tonight showing that he sold shares on Friday, because then it would likely mean there's a form that comes out tomorrow that he sold shares yesterday too. And maybe it's all done with or something, the amount of shares he needs to sell in order to have enough equity. Yeah, I think that the one reason I, I think that's probably not likely that, that he sold was uh, David yeah. Kasman reminded me in the comments that, um, you know, that Elon made a comment about uh, the drops are buying opportunities. Um, mm. You know, he said something to the effect of like buying the dip. Um, it seemed that he, you know, like he had a very kind of bullish take on on where the stock could be going from here. You know, he's been known to drop little hints like that before. And I just think it's kind of against how he operates personally to make a comment like that and then sell the next day. Um, well, so. you could interpret that like he has, he might think that he has to sell if yeah. he doesn't want to have margin and it could be a buying opportunity for the rest of us. That's what one way he could have been communicating like, Hey, all of you guys might get a buying opportunity soon or something, you know, that's one way to interpret yeah. it, but I can see the interpretation you have too. So, yeah, I mean, we don't fully agree on this. It's okay. You know, like I think <laughs> it's uh 25% probable and you're more like probably very unlikely, you know, so that's okay. Um, We're not what, percentage would you put it, what percentage would you put it at, Matt? I'm curious. So uh, the percent chance that he sold on Friday. Yeah. 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 
Yeah, I think 25% sounds about right, actually. Oh, okay. So I think we're, we're pretty much on, on the same page. Okay. okay, all right. Cool, all right. Well, um, so uh, let's move on to the next thing, I guess. What's on our list here? So Canada factory is coming up. Is there rumors of that? I mean, there's some like lobbying going on. Um, I think that lobbying doesn't definitely mean that the Canada factory, I just I feel like it means that Canada is probably in the running for a gigafactory for sure. But yeah. there could be Indonesia, there could be, you know, behind the scenes, there could be like Brazil, there could be UK, there could be like five places. They're kind of like checking out all at once and then they'll make their decision and announce it, you know, later this year. Do you think Canada yeah. is likely or? I, I don't know about likely because it was um, Ontario, right? I think was the, you know, province that, that was discussed. And I think in the past, uh Elon had made comments about an East Coast Gigafactory, which does kind of make sense. I mean, you've got, you know, West Coast, you've got Central U.S., and you've got, mm-hmm. uh, you know, East Coast. And Ontario is not exactly East Coast. So, um, I mean, it's Easter. It's a little bit more East than Austin. But uh, mm-hmm. to me, I don't know. I was thinking something more like like U.S. East Coast would, would make some sense. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, things could, can clearly have changed or things could clearly change. Uh, and it, it may very well make sense to, you know, have another uh, a factory in Canada. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I could see it working, but um, I, I think my confidence level is, is low. I, I think something, another one in <laughs> Larry wants North Carolina again, uh, that, that could do. Um, yeah. So I don't know. My, my confidence level is low, but I think I, I would be surprised if it was UK, even though there's been all the rumblings about that for, for years. I think something North America is, is most likely, you know, yeah. These yeah. I see just based on what we were talking about before with, with uh, Elon Stalin, I saw a, ch- a chat from Ishan Patel and YouTube, which is very interesting and something I haven't thought of that Larry Ellison might have sold as he is no more required to file a form for. Yeah, he's off the board and maybe he had to wait until, you know, this window of time or get off the board to sell it without a form four or something like that. So, yes, maybe that's possible. Maybe Larry, Larry, Larry Ellison sold all his Tesla shares and that could have dragged the stock down 80 bucks and yesterday too, you know, that's possible too. Anyway, Ontario isn't very descriptive. Ontario is 154, 154.7% larger than Texas, according to Google results. That's from boiled down AH. Yeah. Ontario is very big. Um, there's a lot of resources in Canada. Yeah. And Larry wants North Carolina. I think Brazil is still in low. Didn't he meet with, uh, you know, Brazil's government a couple of times. They also met with Indonesia's government. They did that big nickel deal. So there's a lot of options on the table yeah. still. I think Brazil's kind of bordering on political instability at the moment. So I think that's probably less likely uh, right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't seem like there's there's a huge market for Tesla, at least right now in, in South America. So I'd, I'd be surprised if that's in the near term, um, something yeah. that, that would be done. Yeah. I see model world is saying, please talk about Optimus use cases. Yeah. They talk. he alluded to, to, uh, you know, Optimus a little bit on the, uh, how people don't appreciate it in the shareholder meeting as well. We'll find out more, you know, I think Optimus will learn a lot more. Matt and I are planning to have like a round table kind of discussion with a couple specialists on robotics and, you know, and potential UK use cases or designs for the Optimus, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And we'll release it on our channel, a recorded interview, I think last mile delivery is a big use case after the factory, obviously. Um, we'll, we'll talk a lot about it. I'm sure when we have that round table. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Elon's mood, he seems pretty good, you know, and, um, I guess let's get to the big thing is, uh, lemonade, right? Lemonade. We'll we'll go to more Q and a at the end as usual. And I'm sure we'll have lots of questions about Tesla still, but let's just pivot to lemonade. Um, this is a stock we've talked about uh, on and off a lot. It's a big part of our fund and, you know, it's not as big as Tesla by any means, but it's still significant and we really like it. And, uh, the opportunity presents people have to remember that it was, it's, it's like less than a 2 billion market. Or I guess today it's like closer to 2 billion market cap, but it's just tiny compared to Tesla. People are always like, well, Tesla insurance is going to make it obsolete. And I'm like, dude, lemonade is for like the non Teslas. Okay. I mean, and if you took out Tesla, if you stripped apart Tesla's insurance, right. From Tesla, and it spun out, it would probably be worth a heck of a lot more than $2 billion, right? And so, you know, the potential for Tesla's insurance to go where it's going to go. I mean, I'm sure every bull would think that. So if Tesla's lemonades for the non-Teslas and it's only $2 billion right now, what could it be worth later? You know, like that's the kind of, we have to think about the total addressable market 
compared to what the current market cap is. And Matt and I, you and I both look at it differently. Matt looks very close into the modeling and the, and the, the, the metrics, the enforced premium, you know, the call, all that stuff's very important. Like I, I trust other people for that stuff. And I trust Matt for that. I like to look at also things focused more on like, not the story, but where I see a perspective of a stock or a company that other, you know, it might be missed, but that can't be captured by the spreadsheets. Um, and in that case, like I the product, an analogy. I mean, that's, that, the that's product, how you got yeah. into Tesla was, was the product. And you've seen the same thing with yeah. lemonade. Yeah. I see something similar with lemonade, the product and service. Like the way I describe it is like, just because I come from a FinTech background, working in interactive brokers for so many years, I've seen Robinhood come from become a baby to grow into an IPO stock. And I've seen interactive brokers grow from like a toddler to a full grown adult company now. And I've seen E-Trade and other, you know, companies come and go, FinTech companies get bought up and consolidated. And you know, the way I, what differentiated interactive brokers, what it was, it's backbone technology that it built itself, the clearing technology, the connections to exchanges, all this stuff it had built entirely itself organically from the ground up. And a lot of the other electronic fintech firms, they're just piggybacking off of legacy providers, whether it's like Bank of America's clearing systems or some other like Dyna broker clearing system that can't be technologically you know, manipulated very easily because it's just like this age old system, but they're just like white labeling it to look like something cool, but there's just not flexible that way, you know, and there's embedded costs in that. And so lemonade, I see an insurance doing something similar to what interactive brokers did and building its own kind of backbone technology, except for the life insurance. I think they use some legacy provider. They kind of white brain on top of that, but other than life insurance, they've built out their own infrastructure from the ground up for all of its, you know, insurance capabilities and all the other insure tech plays, whether it's Hippo or some others, like they just kind of like white label legacy providers and try to make it look nice, but it's not flexible. And then the best thing about Lemonade, perhaps that you combine that because, you know, with Robinhood type interface of how like the user experience is so like incredible people love using it. You know, it's simple to use. It's great for young people. They just adapt to it quickly. Just the interface of Lemonade is very easy you know, very customer friendly, very intuitive. So that's one thing interactive brokers didn't have is the interface, you know, but it still had the backbone technology. And then you had Robinhood, which had the interface, but it just had no backbone technology. It was just like piggybacking off of, I think some other firms like Apex Clearing or something like that for a long time. And which many of these, you know, small startup robo brokers did like for years and it just didn't work out that well. So um, you have the combination in my mind of those two, things and it's just going to be it leads to what i think a huge market share potential for lemonade in the future from a product perspective if they can execute on controlling costs and 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 not having to raise too much capital too soon and so forth and you know and the, the metrics will follow the customers will come in my mind but matt what do you what do you think what do you see about you from your perspective you see something different in lemonade you see it from a more, more of a a modeling perspective and such. Tell me a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, so all those things that that you um, you know described translate into future revenue, and and so you know you got to look at those big picture items. But then the, where I kind of get lost in in the, the numbers is you know looking at what at the trends over time. And so I, I think one of the the most under well, let me just start with digesting the earnings report a little bit for maybe those who who aren't following as closely. Um, it was something of a monster of an earnings report, at least as much as it can be for, you know, kind of like a, a, a pre-earnings company. Uh, but they beat on the top line and substantially on the bottom line uh, as well, which was, you know, really great. Um, they they guided that this current quarter, so Q3 is going to be their, their quarter of peak losses, and then it'll be kind of decreasing from there. Uh, I suspect a lot of that is, is probably due to the Metro Mile acquisition, which is kind of integrating right now. Um, and, and they're going to have a, kind of a lower loss ratio just because of that that coming into the mix. Uh, but in terms of the number, I mean, uh, revenue was up 77% year over year. So like talking about how hard it is for Tesla to grow, you know, at 50%, uh, Lemonade's growing. They're, they're still so small that they can be growing at a, at a much higher rate. Uh, but even sequentially, they grew 13%. Uh, so that was a really encouraging. Uh, in terms of some of the guidance, they said that there's no new funding needed. And I think that was probably a big part of the reason that we're seeing this, you know, plus 15% or so last I looked, uh, move in the market today. Um, but, but I think the thing that is most lost as, as most analysts look at this 
is the potential for bundling. And, and this is the first time I can recall that they've actually um, spoken about it on the call. Um, but the, um, the the kind of entry level customer that they've got is only buying like maybe pet or maybe renter's insurance. And so uh, a couple of years ago, it was like $190 of a premium per customer per year, uh, which is super small. Um, I, you know, I don't know about you, Emmett, but I'm paying, you know, a lot more than <laughs> a lot more than $190 a year for all my insurance yeah. products that, that oh, yeah. I need. So, yep. you know, you think of like auto and you think of uh, home and you think of life insurance. I mean, those are, you know, 10x more opportunities. And this is something they said on the call that uh, for their customers, which have all of their products, uh, which I think there's five now, if I'm not mistaken. So the, the car, the home, the, 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 uh, 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 term life, the pet, um, those customers have about $3,000 per year of premium, as opposed to, you know, the average is like 290, I think right now. So a 10 X opportunity in premium per customer, uh, just due to bundling. And right now, like the auto is not fully rolled out, uh, in all States. They've not done a whole lot of cross selling and they're restrictive. Like you, you were trying to, to get a quote for your house on, on lemonade and that you couldn't even get yeah, it yet. I couldn't get it. So, yeah. They, they talked about how they, they mentioned were, in the letter they 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 toned down California, right? They talked about it in the letter. Yeah, exactly. So th th that was actually one of the things that I found really interesting. They're they're really throttling back their growth ambitions, uh, which I think is is uh, part of the reason that they don't need to do another capital raise. Uh, so they're they're targeting you know those kind of higher growth, those those most substantial uh, like bang for the buck uh, ideas that they have. Um, and so then I, I think where people don't see the opportunity is just how much, how much higher the enforced premium per customer can get from here. And so that's what I get really excited about thinking of people in their, you know, young twenties, just starting off and loving the product and, and sticking with the company over 10, 20 years, they're going to be spending a lot more. So I think you're going to see not only yeah. the customer count increase, you know, quite dramatically, but I think you're the premium per customer is going to increase quite dramatically as well. And so when you yeah. multiply those together, it's just a crazy, crazy impact. It's a it's a similar parallel to Tesla in the fact that they're growing units of cars 50% per year, but the use of each car they're producing is going to grow exponentially, grow significantly as well with the full self-driving robotaxi network. Yeah. So even though they're increasing their products by 50, you know, the amount of cars they sell 50% per year, the revenue is going to increase per car. The revenue per car is going to increase much more so because of the software robo taxi element on top of it. So it's a completely different industry, obviously. But Lemonade, in a way, they're increasing their customer account by, let's say, 60% or whatever, 50, 40% per year, 50% per year. But the amount of enforced premium per customer, because of the cross selling and upselling and the maturity of each of seasoning of each of their customers over time, is also going up per customer more than 50% a year is sort of, you know, so you compound that it's like 125% per year in revenue increase and operating leverage kicks in and all this stuff. Right. So it's like, yeah, it's I mean, it's not monster. quite that high. I mean, they're, they're a little bit lower on both the enforced premium per customer growth and the customer growth, but yeah. the, the point is, is definitely still valid. Um, and, yeah. and I think it's, it's kind of similar to FSD in that the market doesn't give them any credit for it. Right. That's right. Like yeah. They're still trading at just a slim premium to cash, uh, even after today's move. And, yeah. um, so, you know, like I, I, I see this this huge potential, and then we, we haven't even spoken about their their AI capability, which um, you know is th they had some really great things to say about that. Um, but I, I think yeah. the market is just saying let's let's be skeptical of that, and you know the proof will be in the pudding. And I, and I think that's yeah. fair, honestly. I mean, it's yeah. easy to say you've got great AI, but uh, I, I do think it's prudent to be skeptical of, of their AI uh, you know results at this point. But they had some really really interesting yeah. and optimistic things to say about that. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing about Lemonade that I think is very interesting that reminds me of Tesla back in like 2013, 2014, or even more recently, a little bit to 2018, 2019 or whatever is the uh, short squeeze potential. You know, like I think um, their last earning, their last, I was looking it up before our chat just to be more specific. I used to look at this like meticulously with Tesla for years and NASDAQ publishes every two weeks um, the official like short interest of a stock, you know, and it, it and it's like it's like a week lag, though, of the actual. So the last reporting date they did was on July 29th. And that was as of the end of trading, I think because it's T plus two settlement for stock trading. So as of the end of trading for Wednesday, July 27th, 
And at that point in time, one day, so Wednesday, as of Wednesday, July 27th, it had 26.12% short interest lemonade of the float. And that's when the stock pr price closed at $19.62. So, you know, it's pretty high short interest for a stock, to, you know, 20 over 25%. That's, you know, I, I think Tesla was above 30% for a while, but even at 27% is pretty, pretty high. And uh, it, it, the, the interesting thing is NASDAQ is publishing at the end of today, the next metric, which is as of like a week ago's end of day trading or something i forget which day it is so we'll get another metric on on uh on lemonade's current more current short interest so that i wonder if it spiked up so if, if nasdaq if it went up from 26 to like 30 percent or 28 percent short interest between you know july 27th and august you know 4th or whatever then uh you know that would be that would be interesting so um we'll find out i guess in the next uh later today when it, i think it publishes the next uh metrics. So I'm, I'm keeping a close eye on the short interest and the short squeeze potential with lemonade is basically what I'm saying. That's a nice <laughs> bonus. You know, uh, I'll put lots of uh, tweets with uh, lemonade squeeze juice uh, icons <laughs> out there. Yeah, I saw that that tweet yesterday. That was uh, that was nice. But I mean, it, it just spiked up immediately when that earnings report came out. But you know, for good yeah. reason. I mean, the, the, the thing that so impressed me was it wasn't like a like a one time one metric was you know, better than expected. I mean, it was basically kind of all cylinders were going and, and you're just seeing all the things that they've been talking about for years are just now yeah. starting to kind of come to fruition. And, but yeah. at the same time, we're still in the, in like the very early innings of this, like yeah. they, they've built out this infrastructure that is like, they're not going to need to like continue adding, you know, uh, software engineers and that sort of thing at the same clip that they have been doing to, to build out this, you know, uh, this infrastructure. Um, yeah. So it, I think it should scale very, very nicely when, when the revenues really start compounding. I think you're going to have a, a similar situation to Tesla again, where, you know, just kind of crazy revenue growth and linear, you know, OPEX growth. Um, yeah. And I think they even, like, they said their biggest loss would be Q3 and then it's going to, yeah. their losses will decline from there. So we're going to have a, you know, I don't want to get the cart before the horse or is it the saying? Yes, because the short squeeze might not happen yet. It might happen down the road. If Tesla is, I mean, if, if lemonade is to succeed, there could be, there would be a short squeeze at some point, but it might not be now. It could be down the road still. And the stock could capitulate it back down with the market or just in general, because one thing I did notice, um, you know, takeaway, I always look for things to be critical of too, you know, and, in the lemonade, they went into great detail, given this analogy of like driving like, you know, 60 miles an hour versus 50 miles an hour. If you're trying to get somewhere fast and the gas is getting higher or something, they're trying to basically communicate that because they don't want to have to raise capital again because the market is not favoring good um, conditions for raising capital at a 20 eight dollar share price or whatever you know last time they raised stock it was like 150 dollars share price you know january 2021 they were so opportunistic yeah. to get at that so because they don't want to have to raise capital at like a a valuation that's like one fifth or less of what they did last time they decided to change their trajectory of growth to keep costs in control so that they think they can get to profitability without having to raise capital and in order to do that, they can't grow as fast going forward. They're yeah. sort of, they're sort of saying, you know, they're sort of communicating. So that means like next quarter, you know, maybe the losses are greater, but maybe the growth doesn't look good for a quarter to quarter, you know, and people get disappointed and the stock comes right back down or shorts get wind of this ahead of time and start shorting it again. Or, you know, so we don't know, like it's a long-term game, but it just, this was a good, you know, a, a, a good beacon in the right direction, a good beacon yeah. of light in the right direction for the bull case for lemonade in the, in the, in the long term, And that's why we're excited. And the stock is reflecting that to some degree here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they did, I was, you know, no surprise in Excel today, updating my, my lemonade model. And with all the changes, it did kind of push back the, the year when they flipped to profitability in my model. So, um, yeah. you know, there, there's, there's, you could certainly take it as bad news, but, um, you know, they did say if their cost of capital comes down then they'll, you know, change plans and, and accelerate growth again. So hopefully yeah. that happens, but, you know, even in, you know, the scenario where it is just kind of a longer road to, to profitability, but they do it like in a more kind of measured clip and, and the losses aren't so steep along the way. Um, you know, we, we could 
see the stock rally in, in that environment as well. It's just kind of the, the course becomes very clear of, of what they need to do to, to get there. Um, I yeah. think there's still a lot of skepticism. I mean, when you've got a adjusted EBITDA loss that's, that's higher than your revenue, uh, I think there's rightly some skeptics out there that say this will never work. But um, yeah. you, you've got to not look in the rear view mirror and, and looking at the windshield, I think, is uh, very, very exciting if they can pull it off, which to be yeah. clear is still like there's still a probability that they fail. Uh, but I think yep. the, uh, the yes. probability that they succeed is increasing uh, in yeah. this report. Yeah. And for anyone who doesn't follow Paper Bag Investor, if you're interested in Lemonade, he's like a great follow. He does has a model. He puts out interesting ideas, like some wild card moonshot ideas for Lemonade is for them to like partner with Apple for health insurance, using their technology for Apple to help apply for health. I mean, that's the long shot, but it's possible. You could see that. But a more possible thing he speculated on recently is like Cash App partnering with Lemonade to offer insurance to everyone using the Cash App. So that's more, to me, that seems like more potentially likely. And if something like that, some partnership like that happened with Lemonade, that would be a really good news. You know, I think the stock would react very favorably as well. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities with Lemonade um, in terms of like these unexpected catalysts that could happen as well. Doesn't mean they will happen, yeah. but you just never know. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got Roblox tomorrow. So we're, Roblox we're tomorrow. Uh, busy. Where's Roblox today? Is Roblox today? I think the Where's call's the tomorrow. Maybe it's released oh, yeah, the today. Call yeah, the earnings report is tonight. It's sort of like Lemonade. They're, I didn't get a chance to listen to the Lemonade earnings call this morning, but I, I, I saw a lot of questions I wanted to listen to. Um, but yeah, the earnings report for Roblox is tonight, and then uh, earnings call is probably tomorrow morning again as well, similar to Lemonade. So Rocket Lab later in the week, right? And then our favorite Rivian. company, our favorite company of all, Rivian, they report later in the week. So we're going to see what Rivian has to bring to the table uh, with their earnings or losses. Uh, I'm curious. Yeah. So. What was your quote the other week? Uh, we really like the anti-long thesis on Rivian or something like that. <laughs> no, that was GM. That was GM. The oh, that was GM. You're right. Yeah, but that sort of applies to Rivian as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I hope Rivian can get their gross margin up to like negative four hundred percent. That'd be a, a good move in the right direction. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, uh, the, the cash burden should be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, I see Tesla economics. One of our favorite uh, followers or people to communicate. Maybe we can get him on here one day. Who knows? Um, but he said, uh, I saw him say earlier that he says Elon, um, he believes Elon when he said he's done selling Tesla stock for Twitter. And Elon said, I think there, to quote him, there's no more planned, quote unquote, planned sales of Twitter. So that was just to cover, you know, it means like there could still be a sale of Twitter, but he hasn't planned it yet. So I, I hope. Hope he's not. I mean, I hope he never has to sell any Twitter stock again. But if he does, I hope it was Friday and yesterday. So um, instead of in stock, the future, yeah. yeah, Tesla stock. Yeah, so we'll see. Um, why don't we go to Q and A? Uh, we'll, we we got we usually go to Q and A earlier. Is there anything else you want to touch base on about Lemonade or anything, Matt? Before? Yeah, we, we've gone a bit longer than usual. So why don't we? Yeah. Why don't we uh, switch gears into Q and A? Yeah. And someone had a, a nickname for Matt earlier in the beginning. They, they, I, th I like the new nickname. Did you see that, Matt? What they called no, you? No, what was that? I'm nervous. They called, you, Mine they called you Minecraft Matt. I like it. Because <laughs> your never... background, yeah, your background, if anyone, I know most people are on YouTube, but there's a few people on Twitter spaces. But on YouTube, you could see Matt's background. He's got a new wallpaper. And a couple weeks ago, I told him, it looks like you're in Minecraft. And so I think it's sticking because his <laughs> wallpaper looks like those blocks in Minecraft right behind him. So interesting. Yeah, I could probably like, climb into one of them. No, I've never <laughs> played Minecraft, actually. So okay. I, uh, I've, I've only watched I've my seen enough videos, though. I, I kind of get how yeah, it goes. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos of people playing Minecraft in the last few years. <laughs> my kids. It's all they watch. All right. First question from HolderDanks9 on Twitter. Do you have concerns about Lemonade slowing customer growth? Yeah, we sort of referred to that at the end. Like they're sort of signaling to us that they're going to slow their customer growth. They're not going to spend so much money to acquire new customers, it sounds like, because they want they want to keep their costs um, under control so that they can reach profitability before having to raise capital again. So this is a concern. Um you know, and it's the major concern in my mind of how the market might um, interpret Lemonade as a whether it's not a growth stock or not. Like, oh, Lemonade's growth is slowing down, even though their costs are getting controlled. There's clearly not a growth stock anymore. You know, that might be the. But also, maybe what would be great is if um, 
their upselling and cross-selling of existing customers to car insurance and other products. Maybe the enforced premium just increased, even though their customer acquisition growth might be slowing down, maybe their enforced premium growth is still going to ex- accelerate or grow at a, a similar pace to what it has been. So that could be a nice uh, thing to keep an eye on. Any thoughts by you, Matt? Yeah, I mean, it's, we did kind of touch on it. I mean, the, the the big concern is that it kind of pushes the year for profitability out. So you're, you know, you've got lower cumulative losses along the way, um, you know, which maybe that's a good thing for the share price. I think it definitely is a good thing for the business that that they're making this change. Uh, but one of the things we've we've spoken a lot about it, you know, at least internally, is you know the potential for some lemonade leaps to really pay off in like 2024 or something like that. Um, I think the the kind of massive upside by 2024 is maybe diminished a little bit with this with this change of strategy because uh, it's it's much less likely that they're going to turn a profit by then. Uh, so you're kind of pushing out the the year where maybe there's this like you know crazy rally uh, once they turn profitable and people realize you know just how how profitable they can become. Um, I think I think the year for that potentially occurring uh, has been pushed back a little bit. So, I mean, that's, that's more of a concern about like opportunity cost for, you know, some investments that, that we feel um, could have paid off really well, but that we haven't even made yet. So uh, it's not really a concern. And I think from the overall business standpoint, it's definitely a good thing. Yeah. Next question from Evan Glansman. How you doing, Evan? Question. Tesla's earnings could really get kind of nutty towards the end of this year and especially next year. What kind of PE would you expect Wall Street to assign to the stock at that point? I don't know if Wall Street's going to assign a PE. I guess the way to think of it is like what will be what coincidentally will become the forward PE or PE of Tesla as it's um, going to more wide release of full self-driving. I mean, I think the wide release of full self-driving will be nice for 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 the earnings, but it gets really nutty when they set up a robo taxi network, you know, just, um, having more people adopt an extra $12,000 or $15,000 option on the Tesla is really nice. Yes. Don't get me wrong. That's great. It's pure margins, but the real nutty, uh, margins, I think, and Matt, maybe I'm wrong, but I think from your, you know, modeling analysis, the real nutty margins happen when there's actual robo taxi network being employed. Is that what you think too? Sort of. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is is kind of nutty, though. Like, I, I never, ever expected their manufacturing margins and profitability to, to be this good. Um, so the thing that that I find so crazy, again, not investment advice, but um, using what I think is like a conservative PE of 50 for next year, you know, and not assuming big increases in take rate or for FSD, let alone like Tesla network, um, there's still a pretty sizable amount of share price appreciation that uh, that implies. So, so that means if, if my view of the world is right, um, that there's huge upside potential if the PE is higher or if FSD take rate goes up or if, if the market is, especially if, if, as you were saying, Emmett, the market starts giving credit for autonomy uh, for, for like the Tesla network. So, so the fact that you've got like pretty massive appreciation on what I would say is like a, the most conservative, like, you know, reasonably low multiples and low earnings uh next year for the for the bear case um to me that that gives me some some comfort in knowing even in, in a worst case scenario things aren't aren't going to be too bad maybe that's not the worst case scenario but a, a reasonably bad outcome um you know that the share price is, is still has a, a good amount of support um and then there's just like crazy you know multi-x potential from that already high level uh, so yeah, that's like the nutty things. I think for sure, 2023 is going to be nutty even more so in 2024. And like that, it's so hard to yeah. even look past then. Cause it's like, how, like, are you going to add 3 million robo taxis like in 2025? Yeah. And like, like the numbers yeah. just truly do get insane. Um, they do. So you yeah. can't model that as your base case, but it's, it's very fun to actually look into it and see what the implications are. Yeah. Next question from Farzad. How you doing, Farzad? Good seeing you at the Clive Bar, uh, the annual meeting gathering. Uh, when is Lemonade expecting to get into auto, home, life, health, etc.? That's a great question. I mean, auto, uh, they just completed the Metro Mile acquisition. And I think, uh, you know, that was a question we that was asked of them on the earnings call this morning. And they sort of commented on in the shareholder letter. I'm going to listen to the earnings call later. But in the shareholder letter, I think they're – they're working on it. You know, uh, they they want to use the Lemonade car insurance, not the Metro Mile car insurance software or, or app or whatever. So they're just working on transferring 
Metro Mile customers onto the Lemonade stuff. And um, I think life insurance, they already offer. Health insurance, maybe one day. Home, they already offer. Um, what did you take? What did you have? What was your takeaway on the auto insurance timing? Did you have you listened to the call yet, or we'll listen to it later? Probably. Yeah, I mean, they said they're going to be pretty measured in in the way that they roll that out. So I think that was kind of to the, the point earlier about you know slowing slowing growth down. Um, the the loss ratio on the existing Metro Mile book is higher than the rest of the business. I think it, they said it'll add about five points to the loss ratio overall, even though that's only about twenty percent of the enforced premium. Um, so that if that kind of tells me that their their loss ratio is over 100 uh, percent, most likely. Um, so if that's the case, then, yeah, it, it does make sense to kind of figure out the loss ratio bit first before you, yeah. you go too crazy on, uh, you know, expanding yeah. that, that out. So um, but, you know, I, I think they, they will figure that out. They've got I think they've got a, a pretty unique AI capability that Metro Mile didn't necessarily have. Metro Mile had the data, but. It was very clear they weren't using it, you know, to the fullest potential, given yeah. given how high their loss ratios are. So I, I think they'll take some time, you know, work that out, and then kind of slowly roll it out to some other states. Um, so that was again part of the reason that I, I have, I'm slowing down the the growth of Enforce Premium per customer because I think that that integration and especially that cross selling opportunity is going to be a little bit more measured than maybe I was initially expecting. So that's the the, yeah. the downside of that. Yeah, they're internal like AI machine learning. They call it like LTV six. I guess they were on like LTV five or four recently. And they moved it up to the next version. They they gave a lot of insight on that in their shareholder letter. They went over like a few pages of explaining, you know, some examples of how it works. To LTV means like lifetime value. They try to calculate the lifetime value of their each customer early on with this all these points of data they take in and and uh, they they feel they feel confident. And their accuracy, they're feeling more confident in their accuracy of predicting that. You know, that's one thing I'm skeptical of. I'm still bullish on the stock, but I'm skeptical of that. I mean, if that was true, if what they're doing, if they're, what they're building is true and actually works with the veracity that they think it does, then that's a really good sign in my mind. I'm just very skeptical that this like machine learning LTV6 or LTV7, whatever they build is going to be like some secret sauce that helps them predict, you know, more accurately every customer. You know, I just... I don't know. I mean, maybe it helps them a little bit, but I don't know if it helps them as much as they think it does. I think there's a lot of outside factors that might not be able to be predicted by that, whether it's like a next freeze in Tesla in Texas that affects everyone differently or whatever it is. I'm just skeptical of it, but I, I'm glad they're working on those projects. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it works to, to as they think it will, because if it does, then there's a real huge, bigger recipe for success than Lemonade's uh, future, you know, margin earnings and such. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, like, I, I don't want to give them credit for that right now, but you know, they yeah. shared something about like their historic loss ratios by iteration of that of that AI, and it was something like you know like eighty eight down to, or I think it was higher than that, down to I, I think currently they're at eighty eight. Um, but I think they they said that their expected lifetime loss ratio was like sixty eight percent on this LTV six. Now that's like, well, of course you're going to uh, like, it, it's kind of like backtesting a, a financial model, right? Like, like yeah. if you build uh, like a stock picking model or something like that, based on what's happened historically, then you can say, oh, look, look how great we are. Um, yeah. The truth will ultimately, or the proof will ultimately be in the pudding of over yeah. the next several years, you know, do we actually see that loss ratio come down and, and does that, you know, LTV six cohort uh, it truly tracking to that, you know, roughly 68%. And if it is like if a year from now yeah. they can come out and say, hey, you know, we're actually tracking right to that 68 percent we thought we would be, which is better than industry average. Then like that'd be great. Cow. Like that. That's, yeah. that's huge. Huge. <laughs> yeah. But um, but it was yeah. it reminds like, me of like a million parameters that they were. Looking yeah, at. I hope I hope I hope it works. But it reminds me a lot of like you were saying, like in finance you know, the past performance does not predict future returns or whatever. Like that's that saying that oh, you have to say, well, when I was in sales and I had some of the smartest computer scientists, engineers, rocket scientists, you know, quantity people like with IQs of like 200, you know, like super smart people, you know, like coming to, to, to open up an account with interactive brokers for their hedge fund. They're starting up with this brilliant idea. They have, they feel like they've got it solved. They've back toasted with a million data points like that. I have the, LTV version infinity to predict how the market's going to react in microseconds of different scenarios. It's going to print money. And, 
it never worked. It never worked. I mean, I don't know if the stock market is the same. You know, the randomness of the stock market is obviously different than the randomness of insurance, but it just made me skeptical of those types of claims. And that's why I'm just skeptical of the lemonade claims on that. But that doesn't mean they could really believe that. I don't think it means the company is going to do or die based on the success of that in any way. You know, I think um, I, I think you just have to take that with a grain of salt. It's a huge upside call yeah. option if it works out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. And if anyone is not familiar with uh, the history of long-term capital management, that's a great kind of historical finance, uh, you know, episode to to look into for all the reasons you were just saying, Emmett, about like the smartest guys in the room with like the most money that built this model that couldn't lose, and then like <laughs> Russia defaulted on their debts, and like the whole thing blew up and almost took down the financial system. Like and these like Nobel laureates that you know were in charge of this hedge fund, and uh, just like. I think a crazy capital incinerator. So yeah, yeah it's oh my gosh. it's it's just it's prudent to be skeptical at this point. You know, we're not gonna yeah. we're not gonna give any company that we're invested in Tesla included. You know, the benefit of hundred percent of like whatever the CEO says. Yeah. We'll just model that into our base case. That's that's just no, not how we not, operate. It's not no. All right, let's go to the next question here from Enrique Moctezuma on YouTube. Uh, why do you think ARK Arc ignores Rocket Lab and Roblox, two great players in their fields? I think Arc does invest in Roblox. Yeah, I think um, they do. Yeah, yeah, but they ignore. Maybe you meant Rocket Lab and Lemonade. Uh, they do ignore Rocket Lab and Lemonade. I think in the past there was like a comment someone from Arc made about Lemonade. They just they looked at it, but they didn't look into it too, too deeply or something. I forget, but maybe they just haven't studied. And Rocket Lab. Yeah, I don't know. They've commented. I think Sam Course has commented once or twice on Rocket Lab, but yeah, they don't invest. They had that space ETF. They never bought rocket lab yet um i think inevitably they will at some point um if you know i think everyone who wants a part of the space industry inevitably will invest some amount of rocket lab but it's just a matter of how many people want to invest in the space industry you know and uh you know if you want to do it through public markets i think inevitably rocket lab is the top spot to do it with you know um you know yeah, the, the the Rocket Lab one does bother me a bit because they specifically because they have a space ETF and like Rocket Lab yeah. is like by pretty much any metric the very clear number two in the launch industry and it a huge amount of you know components provided to the space industry. So the fact yeah. that they don't have that in in their fund while they do have like Netflix and John Deere who like can in no way be called pure play space companies uh, to me that's um, that that's not right. Um, but I, yeah. I, I, I tried to ask them a couple of times. I've just never had a response. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 Arc, I, I really think they're a great shop. Like, I think they were an all-star team. I've said many times, Kathy Wood, Brent Winton, back when James Wang was there, you know, Sam Corris, Tasha Keeney. You had like this incredible all-star group of analysts early on. And then they got so successful, you know, and the market favored them as well. It was like a perfect storm for them to grow which they rightly should have, but they had to hire a whole bunch of analysts and get into crypto and they went pretty heavy in crypto, I feel like, and maybe too heavy on some of that stuff. But I feel like a lot of their analysts, younger analysts, they hire, you know, they're good people, they're, they're, but they're not, they're not the all-star team. You know, they're just kind of like these, they're not to see, you know, it's not the same. They were diluted a bit and uh, they have so many different stocks. It's hard for like the, the core analysts there, whether it's Brett and Kath and, and Sam to keep track of all a hundred stocks across all their ETFs. You know, each of those guys probably understand Tesla and like a few other stocks very closely, but they can't keep track of all the stocks to, you know, just like Matt and I, we run out of bandwidth after like four or five or six stocks. You know, we can maybe 10 stocks we could be stretched to if we had to, but, you know, much more than that, we'd, we'd be doing a disservice to ourselves and our investors trying to keep up with too many stocks. So, anyway, they're a good shop. I'm glad they open sourced their research. I have a lot of positive praise for arc and what they've done um yeah let's, let's go to the next question here from ishan patel is there any plan for matt to discuss your his model on lemonade so matt you do have a model i believe for lemonade i know people have been asking about it we haven't i don't think publicly revealed paper bag investor openly revealed his model not long ago for uh, lemonade and i know you've looked at it matt and had some mm -hmm. interesting feedback about it um what about your model? Have you any interest on maybe if, there, I mean, our channel is mostly Tesla. People mostly like Tesla, but there is a growing interest in Lemonade. Maybe if Lemonade starts, uh, you know, growing further and there's more interest in it, we can go through it or something on here at some point. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, we could do that. I mean, I think the, 
maybe one of the bigger differences is is like the Tesla model has proven to be incredibly accurate over time. But Lemonade's business much that like I, I think I still have been more accurate than than Wall Street on this one. But um, like even today, I just went back and updated, and like the year for profitability flipped by about eighteen months. Um, mm. So you. Anytime that we, we if we were to, to do a deep dive on, on the Lemonade model right now, it would just be very, it'd be a, a point in time view on what we think Lemonade could look like down the road. So, yeah, I mean, I'd be happy to do that. I suspect there'd be a, a smaller audience for it, but um, yeah, we, we, could, we could certainly do it. But I, I think it's going to change quite a bit as the actual results come in over the next, you know, say 12 months in particular, and we'll have a, a better feel for what the long-term kind of sustainable uh, numbers are for, for some of these line items. Yeah. But all right, let's do uh we're close to the hour. We usually try to keep this. Here. Let's do one more question. This one's from talks with Andy on YouTube. How much of a drop in inflation do you think is already priced in regarding tomorrow's print considering the rally we've been on? That's the million, that's the trillion dollar market cap question to the market right now is how much is priced in? I'm, I'm seeing, signal on my Twitter from, you know, my curated feed that I, I, I think gives me signal to some degree on the macro markets, probably not nearly as much as I need to make decisions, but it seems like, uh, a lot of the institutions, especially like the speculative hedge funds are not convinced that we're out of the bear market and kind of been caught by surprise by the recent rally. Um, and to, if that's the case, I think that's good news that they there's more people left to kind of uh more more bears left to close their shorts or to get back in the market because they're kind of waiting on the sidelines so i'm hoping that um it's not really priced in yet and maybe just marginally priced in and that was the initial move up the last couple of weeks so yeah tomorrow anything can go with terms of the market reaction it could go up or down five percent it could go up five percent then down eight percent i don't know it could go crazy tomorrow <laughs> we just don't know it's a big CPI print. It's a big inflection point in CPI. It's a big turning potentially of the tide on sentiment overall. But then people are still hesitant because of the Fed, you know, being so, you know, prudent on their language uh, more recently. Although Powell seemed to open the door in the last comp meeting that like maybe we aren't going to be as aggressive in rates, you know, go, going forward. So it's it's confusing. They, you know, the, the language from the Fed has been, you know. Um, contradictory sometimes, but the the data points is wh what I think they'll really follow. So if yeah. the CPI tomorrow, I think the market will come to the realization whether it takes a few days or a week or something. I think it would come to the realization that like, hey, you know, let's let's invest back in the markets. These high interest rates aren't going to last that long with inflation slowing down. And then the, the the CPI print for the next month, the CPI for August, when that gets printed like the first week or second week of September. That'll be another big, you know, reconfirming print if it's also 0.2% or 0.1% month over month. Or maybe it's negative. It'd be great if they're both negative. Then it'd be like, deflation, everyone <laughs> cut interest rates. The market would just rip, I feel like. It would be incredible. <laughs> so that's possible. I mean, we're talking about 0.1 or 0.2% different adjustments from the estimates, right? I mean, not yeah. long. Like, well, remember how, like how big? 5%, they'd be like, it would be like 3%. Then it would be like 3.4% in reality. So like a 0.2% difference in estimates is not out of the question. Yeah, well, I, th I think especially since um, June surprised so much the high side that, you know, I think especially frequentially, that seems like make it more likely or, or at least that there's a greater chance that it, it could be a negative print. Um, yeah. And, and like the GDP uh, surprise, I mean, that was a massive miss on, on GDP uh, estimates in Q2. Um, and so these estimates are not like like they've proven pretty inaccurate on some of these important macro things lately. So uh, it's certainly possible that, that you could have, you know, a, a big miss to the downside. And if that happens, yeah, I think, I think markets would rip, but um, again, our expertise is, is not on macro here. So we're trying to, to be kind of yeah. uh, tempered in, in our expectations and really just focus on, you know, companies and long-term yeah. fundamentals and, and, you know, make sure we're not just ignoring macro completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the best, people on macro to listen to are the people that always present two cases like, well, the market could go down, but it could also go, but it could also go up, you know, <laughs> like that's basically yeah. what we do. I mean, you, can, you have to think of both options. You can't be, if you start thinking the macro is going to go one way or the other, then I think you're just flipping a coin and, and you're going to lose after a few times. I don't know. It's just, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's so hard to macro market short term to see what's happening. I think medium to long term, end of the year goes well for macro markets now until the end of the year. But the next few weeks or even the next month or two, I don't know for sure. It's very short, hard to predict. So, yeah, yeah. And then there's political risk, too. I mean, you know, I think we're, we're, we spend so much time talking about the Fed. But, you know, if China does something crazy in, in Taiwan, which tensions yeah. are certainly high right now. I mean, that could be bad. Yeah. You know, this war in Ukraine is still dragging on and, and there's other, you know, kind of political risks going on, you know, throughout the world right now. So certainly Absolutely. hoping that, you know, things settle down there. Uh, but it, it, it may be uh, a bit of a tightrope walk to have inflation come down, have, you know, the Fed lower rates and have you know, like all these geopolitical tensions, like nothing, nothing break. In that case, certainly I think yeah. we'd be ripping in the second half of the year. Uh, but I just don't know how much of a tightrope walk it is to, you know, kind of hope that all those things go go the way that, that you might want them to. So yeah, absolutely. On that happy. All right. Note, well, great chat. Hopefully a week <laughs> from now. Yeah. Hopefully a week from now we'll be uh, you know, discussing uh new highs and lots of stocks, lemonade, Tesla, Roblox, Rocket Lab. Who knows? Not new highs, but new like you know, it'll, hopefully they'll all be up from where they are now, but could also be down. <laughs> so go either way. Anyway, uh, good chatting, everyone. And uh, we'll see you for episode uh, number 59 next week. Cool. Ooh, all right. 10 away from 69. Right. Yeah. All right. All right, guys. Thanks, everyone.